0: Hello, and welcome to Milded Dialogue, episode number 158. This interview is with Haile Owusu, Chief Data Scientist at Mashable. I met Hailey after he gave a keynote at Gen 2015 and wanted to dive into how data is being used at Mashable to drive the editorial agenda. In this interview, Haile and I discuss the way that Mashable approaches data, how it is stored and organized, and how it is used by the writers. Data is a cutting-edge topic for business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. Today piped in from New York is Haile Owusu, who I met at the Global Editors Network in Barcelona. Uh, where you did a brilliant speech uh, about data in the world of journalism. So, Heidi, tell us who you are, what you do, and as I like to ask, what is your mindset?
1: Sure, um, and thank you very much. That was very generous. Uh, I am Haile Usu, the uh, chief data scientist at Mashable, and I, among other um, among other duties, I uh, I oversee the uh, data science team at Mashable, and in particular, I focus on. Uh, the design and the uh, the uh, research behind our predictive algorithm for social engagement in a, a tool that we, we built called Velocity.
0: So when did you join Mashable early?
1: <laughs> I joined Mashable a little under two years ago. So that's... Uh, uh, late 2013.
0: And it's been a journey I can imagine because of t- where tell us a little bit about your background as well because how on earth did you get into Mashable? I'd love to hear that sure. coming from your background.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm a I'm a theoretical physicist by uh, by training. I I came first of all. I came to data science by a bit of a circuitous route. I mean, I suppose data science has not been around that long, so I perhaps everyone who's a, a practitioner of data science came to it by a circuitous route.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was a postdoc, and I uh, I recently published a paper with uh, my uh, my supervisor, and we had a discussion about um, you know what to pursue next, and. Uh, he strongly suggested that I, I start thinking about uh, different subjects, and I ended up thinking very hard about subjects outside of academia. And uh, in particular, I found myself drawn to, to problems in data science, in particular problems that I found uh, on a site called Kaggle, which is a place where lots of data scientists sort of start to find home their, uh, their, their craft, if you will.
0: Hmm. And uh, yeah, sorry. You know, yeah, I was just going to say. So uh, then, you wanted to get into the business side of it. How How did you get into the business side of it?
1: So yeah, I uh, well, I what I wanted was a job, uh, and so I I got uh, a few gigs, and then ended up getting a gig as director of research for a company called Social Flow. Um, and I was with them for a little bit and. Then I was very lucky to find myself in a conversation with Mashable CTO and he essentially asked me if I wanted to predict the future of content. Um,
0: There's a challenge.
1: yeah, Yeah, and challenge accepted. I mean, he really made a very simple, elegant and compelling argument for why Mashable was interesting and why what we could do at Mashable would be interesting.
0: So before we, we circle back, circle through, I uh, wanted to just finalize, what would be your mindset? How would you describe your mindset, Heidi?
1: Oh, sure. Um, my mindset is uh, I'm terribly, terribly curious, terribly curious. I, I, I mean, I came to physics by way of uh, my curiosity and to, to data science, again, by way of my curiosity. I, there are – I'm – Obsessed with trying to crack particularly mathematical nuts. Um, mathematical. I mean, my curiosity is fairly general, but um, uh, it tends to be focused towards mathematical problems because they're deep and interesting problems that are tractable. So, yeah, my mindset is heavily steeped in curiosity.
0: So, when you when, you when you when one talks about data. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times I hear people saying, well, it's actually not about the data, but the question you ask.
1: Yeah, I think that's very right. I mean, look, uh, there are certainly some situations in which accumulating data without actually asking very specific questions is a good, a good thing to do because there's a a rather, I mean, there's just a pervasive absence of of data. Um, But Chances are, if you have a running business in particular, you're accumulating some data, um, and you know by premise the business is ticking along fine, uh, and you accumulating accumulating data without asking a, a specific set of questions or having in mind a range of questions that you'll want to answer for the future is, is a kind of mindless and expensive exercise because, for in general. Uh, for the kind of data that is the the, the, the bread and butter of uh, machine learning techniques, you actually have to expend a fair amount of effort and uh, money in order to accumulate that data. It's actually not it's not uh, easy to, to set up an architecture for for retaining lots and lots of information.
0: Mm. So you're your chief data scientist at Mashable. I am. And, and so the, the cheeky or the trendy word would be you're you know, the chief big data officer or big data scientist. How, how at Mashable do you qualify big data?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I will say this uh, upfront. At Mashable, we don't do big data, or at least not what I would consider to be big data. I mean, look, um, when you think of big data, you should probably think of really, really industrial scales, uh, uh, petabytes of data, uh, the, sort of, the sort of assembly line you associate with uh, uh, Google and Facebook. We do have a lot of data at Mashable. Um, in particular, for Velocity, we, uh, we're looking at about a million URLs a day and trying to first classify their content. Um so, uh, you know, as as many articles as we can possibly find being published around the world is what we ingest. and that's that is a lot. However, if you, it is uh, several orders of magnitude below the scale of, uh, of a company like uh, Google or, or Facebook. Well, but within, within the context of uh, so another way to define big data is essentially, Data large enough that you need to do the ca- that you can't really pursue the calculation on your your uh, your local machine or your laptop, um, and from that point of view, I suppose we do big data. But I, I mean, really, that is medium-sized data.
0: <laughs> well, at the end of the day, big I suppose is relative, and it's relative, yes. relative to who you are and what you need. Mm-hmm.
1: Indeed. Um, I guess I guess the point is, that, I mean, and so, some of that probably sounds very pedantic, and the, the most important thing there, the distinction that's drawn between uh, big data, and I suppose what I do is that we, I mean the exercise of the data is not so very important, it's the task that we, we set on the, the data, and for us it is this predictive challenge, essentially to be able to figure out how much social engagement an article or a piece of content is going to receive very early on in its lifetime.
0: All right, so you're looking at these millions of URLs every day. How mm-hmm. how do you classify them? Give a, give us some insights as to how you start to classify them. I mean, we're not asking for the sort of state secrets, but sure. What kind of buckets do you use? You know, useful, useless. <laughs>
1: oh no, yes. Uh, so I mean, we so we classify by topic. Uh, we we imagine well. You, again, you have this this uh, large array of uh, URLs that, that come in and. Uh, you're, you want to know, know programmatically what the article is about, essentially. And so these are topic classifications. And uh, topic classification is a sub-branch of, uh, of NLP, short for Natural Language Processing. And most of those techniques for determining uh, classification, well, a broad category of, of techniques involve a pre-established corpus essentially of what you know to be of that category. So if we want to identify something as being of fashion, we broadly speaking, we have a a collection of things that we know unambiguously to be about fashion. And we essentially teach our our machines to to recognize the repeated patterns in that corpus and then assess essentially whether an incoming article has matching patterns. And these patterns are essentially repetitions in language, uh, word associations, um, you know, word
0: frequencies, these sorts of things. And would you call it artificial intelligence that you're applying to this machine or is it something that you're, it's basically human intelligence reapplied every day?
1: Uh, So, you know, I'm I'm a scientist, so I'm perhaps a little bit more cautious with language. I mean, I suppose it's a kind of uh, artificial uh, artificial intelligence, but I think much more, much more concretely, it is definitely uh, a form of natural language processing. When I think of artificial intelligence, and I think this is how people tend to use it these days, it tends to involve uh, neural networks and uh, computer vision. Um, and we do actually, uh, have a ton of interest in these, uh, in, in these, uh, sub-branches, but, um, uh, yeah, this, I, am I would describe this much more as natural language processing.
0: So when you're looking at these, these, these buckets of, um, phrases where, you know, word associations and so on, what, what are the ways you put hierarchy into them? Because, I mean, are you saying, well, this, these two words appeared in this kind of article and got this many likes, you know, what, what are we trying to do in order to try and bring out that useful material for your writers?
1: Ah, so, okay, so uh, one way to think about this is as a a kind of a uh, a progression of, Uh, analysis on the content. So, you know, first and foremost, we have to find the content. Okay, We built an elaborate crawler for this purpose. And then we uh, classify the content for topic um, so that we can know what it's about, essentially. And then the next layer is, of course, the predictive layer. And there we we use the information that, we, that were derived in the previous two stages to form a, uh, a, a forecast or a prediction for how much social engagement that piece of content will get at, uh, at, uh, at the end of its lifetime. And so, uh, the, essentially, the, 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 we, we require the, uh, the NLP uh, uh, buckets to inform our, our predictions at the later stage. Is that too? question?:
0: Yeah, it does. I mean in the other day, what' I'm, I'm thinking about is going to be the translation of that data into the hands of the people who are going to be using it for their next right. day, the output. And so you are you know you're now you've got all this material every day, and I suppose real time is going to be important. you have to the, the timeliness of the articles is also super important.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, uh, let me say a few words about uh, about how the end user uses it, uh, how, in particular, a journalist would use it. So, uh, well, actually, it, it may be useful to, to go to, to, to the start and uh, address why we actually built this thing in the first place. Go for it. So, uh, so I'm not a writer but I can see the amount of labor that's involved in writing. I I mean, I must say I I really do admire the, uh, the the craft of writing, but if you are a journalist and in a world uh, that is as sort of massively connected and as 24 hour news cycle as, as it, as it presently is, you have a lot of potential stories to sift through and, uh, prior to our having Velocity, there was just an enormous amount of labor that was that was undertaken to figure out what uh, any writer in our various um, editorial categories would would consider for the day. And, velo- and so,
0: just just for people to understand, Velocity is your tool that you use, right? To...
1: Yes, that's right. Velocity is our tool that we use to offer uh, offer uh, our journalists a. It's a it's. In part, a curation tool. uh,
0: Is it proprietary to Mashable?
1: It is entirely proprietary to Mashable. We built it in-house. We we designed it. We built it. The algorithms are ours. Uh Um, And the idea is essentially to, one, limit the amount of work that that journalists have to undertake in order to identify uh, previously written content that is interesting. Mm -hmm. Wherein the... The notion of interestingness is actually the amount of social engagement. Mm. And the reason that we are interested in social engagement is that we just we simply noticed that at an, in an early version of this tool, when writers would uh, write an article in some sense in response to a previous article that had accrued a lot of social engagement, that subsequent work that we, that, that mashable article, tended to do rather well. Um, And so the idea was to build a tool that was as predictive as possible for that amount of social engagement so that when we choose to react to something in the uh, uh, some event or some some article written by another publication, that we are able to assess early that that is something that's going to receive uh, significant amounts of social engagement and hopefully accrue some of that social engagement to us. And so in the present uh, incarnation of velocity of our top 10 stories over the past, uh, the past year, the majority of uh, our top 10 stories were actually sourced in velocity and their, their performance, uh, was orders of magnitude above certainly the, the, the mean behavior. I mean, really, uh, there's, uh, a significant lift we seem to be able to achieve by, um, uh, forecasting early how much social engagement uh, content receives.
0: All right, so you have so velocity will help you curate, allow the writers uh, to accelerate their research, so that they know that these are the articles that are being pre-read, pre-written. Sorry, on this particular topic, we think this topic's about to get a certain amount of pickup. Hit it. So, is, would that be a fair yeah. description? Yeah, no, that,
1: that's 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 very true. I mean. Uh, it's it's very very true, uh, and I think that's that's very much how um, our writers uh, writers use it. All
0: right, so now I. But, all right, so you've written, this other stuff's written. What kind of do you have? Any other forms of guidance in the predictiveness? So, hey, listen, don't forget to include these keywords. Don't forget. Try to think of another angle than the one that's already been used. Uh, what what other <laughs> types of material do you can you garner from well, what you do and what Velocity does in order to better script and uh, equip the writers for their article?
1: This is a really interesting question, and uh, it's a question that I receive often, and uh, I hesitate to, to be too grand and prescriptive. And I'll tell you why. So this is highly dependent on details. It depends on the type of content. It depends on the... on on your, not just the audience of the, 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 the publication for which you write, but also your, your subset of that audience. Um, I mean, it's almost always true that, uh, a good article is better than a bad article in this respect. I, I know that that sounds <laughs> trivial, but it's, it's sort of not obvious because I mean, one thing about the, uh, the media environment is that's. Uh, journalistic content is in some sense, uh, weaponized, right? We are actually at a stage where, uh, publishers have at their disposal means for really promoting far and wide, uh, singular pieces of content if they so, they so choose. But even there, it seems to be that, uh, that's better writing and better, better content, uh, in some fairly objective sense, does does better social engagement one than than and, than smaller ones, and certainly uh, social networks like Facebook have spent a lot of effort trying to make that true of their platform, right? So mm-hmm. there, there's a kind of uh, a desire to uh, limit the amount of uh, pure, uh, maybe unsatisfying clickbait in favor of more substantive uh, substantive content. But you know, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot more beyond just uh, basic journalistic qu- uh, content. I mean, I tend to think of this as uh, that there's a certain amount of packaging that you have to put around a really good piece of content. Mm-hmm. Um, so one wants headlines to be sort of sharp and crisp, um, ever so slightly emotionally grabbing, but not emotionally manipulative. Or it can be emotionally manipulative, but people tend to respond negatively to uh, uh, the curiosity gap, if you will, mm-hmm. which is to say that they may click on it, but they're not going to share it if they walk away feeling duped.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so in, when, you, when you're providing this material and you have, you have the content or the subject matter itself, then you have uh, material around the title, which is going to be so important, then there presumably is also length and then there uh, is element like keywords that you have to load in or not, you know, because if it's too obvious and sort of slap me silly SEO or, you know, <laughs> trying to just, you know, Hey, don't forget to add in, you know, long tail, uh, cool headed thoughts for the future.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I have to say that, uh, Again, these are very domain specific. So I, I i I essentially could tell you what works at Mashable, um, but uh, I wouldn't be too bullish on the idea that that automatically translates to other domains. So I, I will also say that this is actually a question that is not entirely within the province of velocity as a tool. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the number of variable variables and the extent to which the the the, the lack of independence between these variables is such that this is actually often an experimental question figuring out the best packaging on a piece of content is for the most part an experimental question and so I don't have great insight into uh, how to perform these experiments essentially yeah because uh, even dig- digitally on in in other uh, for other publishers
0: I suppose anyway even for mashable uh, you know some a topic that you do 350 words on versus 750, well, maybe one day it'll work well, and then two weeks later it should have been 750 instead so the 350 because more people are interested in it. I mean, I, I assume there are still many variables that make up for success. Many,
1: many variables, and they're dynamic. I mean, it's actually a, it's a very deep question. That It's a very, very popular question, but it's a very deep question.
0: Mm. So why don't we... And, and, and,
1: and, and just, just to, as an addendum, I, there's also... The image component, which uh, uh-huh. really, really uh, 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 confounds things, because images are uh, understanding what qualities of images actually um, contribute to social media success uh, is a, a point of ongoing research, for us. <laughs> right? Really we, right, because
0: I mean, I mean, images are by definition more emotional, mm-hmm. and and then you have your little, uh, you have the the um, the little icon, you have the bigger image, the first image, the positioning of them. Do you want, yes. and then how, I suppose you also need to look at technical aspects, like what, what's the optimal um, density of the image that should be, I mean, it's quite a lot of things in the image.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, really understanding uh, what we call the, uh, the feature space of uh, images, or at least the most, the most significant uh, subset of feature space is really, uh,
0: so you use the you with velocity work on that as well. I mean, so that will include referencing images that are best used or not. I mean, wh- where is your did uh, you remake go that far?
1: Uh, so uh, this is a uh, I mean we we haven't rolled out uh, anything fully featured uh, here, but we we do spend a lot of time uh, research wise on, on on this this question. Mm. Uh, it it it's a it's a tough question. We're trying to suss.
0: Mm. And it was, at this point, if you had one insight on images for those people who are using images in their content, what would be the one thing you've pulled away so far? Use a cat uh, and a dog. I, I mean, the easiest
1: and and maybe the the least satisfying is that one should include one. I mean, there's I think at this stage no excuse for for a publisher not to. Uh, bundle with each article an image. It's a it's a complete lost opportunity. Hmm. Um, good semantic uh, matching between the image and uh, the content of the article. I, I, it is. It's. Uh, I mean, it's relatively rare in the, the data set that we have to see massive disjuncture between the article body and the image. But when that happens, it's absolutely jarring and, and it tends to, uh, I, I, I've seen no examples where uh, uh, for the high performers where there's a, a, a wild mismatch between the semantic content and the image content. It
0: makes me think of another question which I, I sort of talk a lot about when I think about e-commerce, but mm-hmm. it's also relevant in a Google world, which is the notion of tagging how important yes. is tagging in the world of a, a data physicist, <laughs> it's like data scientist?
1: Yeah, um, oh, I like that. I like data physicist. <laughs> Something ring to it? Because
0: um, uh, once a physicist, always. Knows. I guess so. Um, tagging.
1: It, I mean, I, it's it's really hard to overstate uh, how useful it is when somebody tags. Uh, their content now. The incentives that people have to tag uh, content um, well and um, exhaustively, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I think I, I can see that it's a lot of effort on the editorial side. But in terms of of, of how we, we we get our information, it is a treasure trove of uh, of, uh, of of detail, right? Um, we. You, you
2: have to bear in mind that we, the Velocity works with publicly available data, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, for the most part, we, you know, we have, uh, we have some, some, uh, explicit data relationships, but, uh, uh, for the most part, the bulk of our data comes, uh, is, is available publicly and, uh, the extent to which, uh, the articles come pre-tagged with information it's it's like you know gold encrusted breadcrumbs i mean it's it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 uh it's incredibly useful
0: for, us. um, for me I, so i write my blog on wordpress and i have i have in my mind three levels of tags i have a category so the category of the post and mm-hmm. there can be many of those then i have the tag which i've given which is uh, identified and visible underneath the title. And then I also have things like an alt or I would call it invisible tags, publicly available, but invisible to the eye as you read the post. Right. Do you give weight to all of those? I mean, do you give different weights to each of those?
1: Uh, so first and foremost, I, I, I certainly appreciate that you have a well-developed schema. Some, many, many uh, publishing entities do not. So we have to be really, really careful about uh, establishing global rules for this. Mm. Right? Um, it's much better to, to establish rules on a, on a domain uh, level, actually, for this. Um, the Some, yeah, I mean, I'll be blunt. Some tagging schema are so uh, ill-formed as to be essentially useless. Mm. But uh, we... I say this. I mean, the, the actual text body for our purposes um, carries much more weight than the tags for precisely this reason. Because we we ha- we have there's a normalization question that is uh, that is hard to address. I mean, for a schema that is as sound, as as rigorous as yours sounds, mm-hmm. uh, 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 I would say broadly speaking, the 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 whole schema would be weighted more heavily because, in some sense, it's more trustworthy. I other, see. other, other typing is a, a sort of a, an obvious uh, SEO ploy, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe less useful for our purposes.
0: So, um, Heidi, when you're dealing with your writers, what kind of challenges are there in transcribing data for them? I mean, in other words, so I mean, if you take journalism, because you know we were at the D, the um, the Gen. Conference mm-hmm. in Barcelona, and and sort of yeah. traditional journalists might look at data journalism with a with another type of eye. They certainly look at comments with another type of eye. And I'm just wondering to what extent there's a comfort factor between the Mashable authors and you. Uh, is it sort of like a a precondition of working at Mashable now, or do you still have you know let's say more classically trained? Writers that are are looking at you as a sort of alien body, and I don't mean, and I of course you can't sort of call out any names and all that. But how, how does it work <laughs> sure. at Mashable?
1: Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, Mashable is relatively young, and so I think we have the benefit of people uh, coming up, if you will, with the idea that uh, that's you know, a team like uh, the data science team is a natural augment to their 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 writing process so I don't I don't think that there's any I, there's certainly no antagonism and I don't think that there's any any uh, mistrust but there is a gulf that um, that I certainly feel like we need to that, that I, I take some effort to bridge mm-hmm. um, after after we had a stable uh, stable version of velocity um, we undertook a lot of uh, efforts to train people on the new tool, and also to solicit advice and understand the the micro use cases that each journalist has for the uh, for the tool. I mean, as, you, as well, you, you can imagine different types of news. Um, so for breaking news. As opposed to uh, what we at Mashable call the water cooler team, uh, they have different uh, different needs, and they they have in fact different time scales on which they're they're interested in understanding what is going to be, uh, you know, a trending or uh, the most socially engaging topic. And so we actually really really attempt to understand all of the use cases, and that helps us craft a better tool. It's one of the uh, one of the. You know, in in, in this game, you you analyze uh, a range of data, and you have a clear and concise quantitative goal, but you also are trying to deliver up something useful to an end user, and usually their goals are rarely quantitative and rarely well-defined, but... Nevertheless, I mean, very urgent and very pressing and uh, very important with a clear sort of business bottom line. And actually navigating between those two worlds absolutely requires that I take on board how uh, a journalist uses the, uh, the, uh, the tool so that I can distill, I can take what they're looking for and distill it down into a quantitative uh, question. Uh-huh. Uh, the way that ends up manifesting itself in Velocity is we actually have a... Uh, a, a metric that we 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 came up with called impact, um, and that is a measure essentially of how impactful uh, participating and sharing of the the content will be for the final uh, for the, the 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 final cascade for that uh, for that piece of content.
0: Yeah, because in the end of the day, you are at the cross section between publisher side, if you will, and uh, and editor side, where uh, you know, editors are just you know g- generally known for looking for getting great content, and you are, are closer to the end of well the output and the amount of sociability and sharing and the data figures, which are going to help the publisher to sell more advertising. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Though so, I, I mean, I, I'm I
1: wouldn't uh, you know I don't at least not with respect to this tool. The tool is not a, a intrinsically set up to optimize any. Uh, kind of base publishing goal really right. we try to situate situate ourselves closer to the uh, the the editorial side so that we uh, it's it's primarily important for, for for us that our journalists are seeing good content in the uh, in the the, uh, the dashboard that good content is bubbling up and that there's good confirmation between what we say is going to be hot you know uh huh yeah, uh, uh in a few days and what actually ends up being
0: all right so uh, in this last question uh highly what this this is my last question for you before we close off i mean I, before sure. you, you you know you sign off but when when um you what are the kpis for you in your job as chief data scientist is it the number of times you predict accurately a subject's going to hit Or how does that how does that fly? What what's the general precept of your KPIs that you're given for you and your job?
1: Sure, Um, with respect to velocity, I mean, really, the uh, the KPI is accuracy, right? I mean, the tool uh, distinguishes itself from a number of different analytics tools uh, that are used in media in that it it's it makes a long term prediction about. Uh, about uh, content, about how much social engagement content is going to receive, and so we we are very focused on trying to make sure that the algorithm that uh, that I came up with uh, is as accurate as possible in that respect. And so, uh, you know, there are a number of softer KPIs, but really the, the the most important one for me is accuracy. And from that measure, we do actually reasonably well. Mm. Um, uh, we've actually just recently went, underwent a battery of uh, of accurate te- accuracy tests. And I, I confess I was actually very pleasantly surprised. That's well, I, I, and
0: I assume there's certain categories or content that you want to be more accurate than others. There's a bit more experimentation on some categories versus others. Is, is that fair?
1: No, well, no, actually. I mean, I, I think so that we don't limit uh, use cases, I actually don't. I don't place any personal importance on one subset of content over another because, again, we have uh, journalists who cover all sorts, and so we, we try to cover their bases as much as possible.
0: Excellent. Well, highly, I thanks for letting us dive into the world of data at Mashable. How it would be the best way for someone to connect with you, follow you, uh, or listen to what you're up to?
1: Absolutely. Um. So my uh, Twitter is actually uh, pretty pretty good. Um. I my Twitter handle is highly Kofi. H A I L E K O F I. Um. Uh. Yeah. And you can also pop me a line at uh, at highly uh, at Mashable.com.
0: Right. Well, Hiley, thanks for coming on, and uh, look forward to staying in touch, following uh, you guys. I I think, like many of the people listening are avid readers of bashful, so it's nice to get a little bit of an inside view on what's cooking. Thanks again. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colours any different way To rid me of the grey And heal me with all your imperfections That you mention in your lack of self-secure and look ugly in the end, but they're pretty in their own disgusting values, we'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house scared.